This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. Your best insight into Utah Jazz basketball and the NBA in Utah. For the next two hours, it's nothing but NBA conversation from the local front to around the association. Now let's get things rolling with Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome into the show. My name is Andy Larson alongside Ben Dowsett. We are the editors of SaltCityHoops.com, the ESPN True Hoop affiliate of the Utah Jazz, covering everything and anything related to the Utah Jazz and the National Basketball Association. It's been a fun week for the Utah Jazz, uh, with picking up two wins, I believe, since we talked last. And for the National Basketball Association. (laughs) That's true. And and we'll talk about all of it throughout the show. We've got an awesome show for you today. Uh, You know, We'll lead off with talk about Quinn Snyder. I I think the biggest thing is uh, just that technical on Tuesday night and how much it changed the game for... For the Utah Jazz, you know, they had that 17-point deficit in the first half of that game and ended up coming back to win by 17, so it, it was a big deal. Um, and so we'll talk about Quinn and kind of not just last night's game, but also the changes that he's made overall uh, this season. And I, I, I think there's a lot to talk about there, and so and we'll get into that and, and some of the differences between him and his predecessor, Ty Corbin, the man standing behind us in, in the, the cardboard cutout. Oh, yeah. And... Um, and then we'll also have, we've got some cool guests tonight. Uh, we got Laura Thompson, who's a Salt City Hoops writer um, based in California. She's been covering our games in uh, Laker and Clipperland. She also uh, had an awesome post on saltcityhoops.com today about how exciting this jazz season has been. So we'll have her in the show. And then le- a little bit later on, we'll have Nate Duncan from Basketball Insiders. Uh, if you don't already, follow Nate Duncan on Twitter, at NBA because he's a fantastic general NBA fan follow for you know for the thinking fan if you will the the guy who likes looking into the guy or gal I should say uh who likes looking into you know what players are doing the x's and o's the the lawyer cba kind of stuff he he's kind of like the Zach Lowe for basketball insiders he's he's someone i think we both look up to oh absolutely as in as far as in game follow someone who's who's if you're one of those people who likes to be on twitter and following the game as it's going on and and reading some some really good insights you know I, I know the game. You know the game. I, I just don't catch some of the stuff in the moment, or a lot of the stuff in the moment that that Nate is catching. He is, I would say, far and away the best in-game tweeter on the Twitter. So uh, yeah, he's, he's. I'm really excited. <laughs> in the Twitterverse. To, in the Twitterverse. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to him tonight. Get some thoughts on both the Jazz and the NBA as a whole. We'll also uh, talk a little bit about Gordon Hayward's leap forward this this show, and in particular whether or not he can make the All Star game. And I think it's a real conversation to see, you know, if he can be one of those top twelve players in the Western Conference. So we'll talk about that a little bit, and of course look forward to the week of come of uh, the week to come of Jazz basketball. But first, like I said, Quinn Snyder. Quinn Snyder was by far the the story of the game last night. He he got Dan Clayton the, the other night, right? Uh, sorry, uh, <laughs> Tuesday night. Um, and in particular, won Dan Clayton's game ball, uh, and, and w- was just phenomenal. I, I I think he he basically pulled the right strings when he had to. And first of all, do you think it was that technical foul that determined the game? Is that fair to put so much onus? You know, it was legitimately a, a thirty-five, forty-point run. Uh, that that happened after that technical foul. It, does it all come down to you know the the flip of the switch, the wake up call? Not all of it. I think to say, of course, that one incident that took place in the second quarter of the of a game determined the result of of that entire game. Uh, but that said, I, there's no question it had an effect. Several players spoke after the game to that effect, saying that they 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 felt like it it 
galvanized them. I heard specific comments from Trey Burke saying that, you know, we weren't doing what we needed to do, and, and Coach kind of kicked us in the rear a little bit. And I think it's, you know, it was almost an instantaneous reversal, right? Like, right. That was, was it the specific 17-point deficit right when he took it? Was that what the deficit was? Or? No, it was actually. The Jazz had made a little bit of a run, mostly just through not allowing the Thunder to score, uh, and cut it to 12 at that point, I believe. Okay, okay. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think at least in that second quarter, there's almost no question that it had an effect. But Overall, I think that the Jazz were the better team than Oklahoma City in that game. Oklahoma, you know, of course, missing the two big stars like we talked about last week. It's going to be tough for them. And I, I would like to think that regardless of that, the Jazz would have had the uh, the intestinal fortitude, if you will, to make a bit of a uh, comeback and, and make it a, a better game. But I, I think there's no question it had an effect. Yeah, so at that point, the Jazz were uh, only shooting 28% from the floor. I mean, that's just something that I think is going to improve over the course of any NBA game, no matter how bad. But we have seen this Jazz team struggle at times with the, with the requisite energy, with the requisite focus in order to succeed. And even against bad teams like the Thunder without Kevin Durant and Russell, Russell Westbrook, we, we've seen them struggle. You know, we, Obviously, there was that loss to the Indiana Pacers, where, again, a team without their stars, the Jazz just didn't bring it that night. You know, Obviously, that's on the road. That's on a back-to-back. It wasn't the same as the Oklahoma City Thunder game, but I, I think there is something to be said for that. And, and like you, I, you know, I, I don't think it comes down to that one moment. But when Trey Burke says that, you know, we owe this win to Quinn Snyder, that that it was the most important part about this game, I, I, I think you have to kind of listen to your point guard a little bit. No question. And, you know, as far as how that bodes for the future, I would say very well. You've got a team that's going to respond to a coach. You know, you see a lot of this in professional sports. There are teams that... The coach can get animated. We're gonna we're gonna talk about the differences between uh, Quinn and, and his predecessor here in a little bit. Ty Corbin would get animated sometimes. Would get animated at the refs. Get animated at his team. Did that always necessarily work? Maybe not. We we can't say necessarily why, but you see examples of that all over sports. Where I think it's clear that that. In this case, at least, you're seeing players that are buying into that sort of thing, and it would be very easy for these guys to think, you know, who's this guy to be yelling at me? What is, you know, and what does yeah. he know? It's very easy to get into that frame of mind when you're when you're in that sort of a situation, and I I think it's a really good sign for the team going forward that the players are going to respond to that sort of a thing as long as he's not, you know, pulling it out all the time, screaming at them constantly, which right. we know he's not. And that's the thing that made it different is that Quinn has to this point never shown that sort of emotion, mm-hmm. and you know, again, just. Uh, you know, 10 or so games into his NBA career, we hadn't seen that to that point. Yeah. And then for him to all of a sudden blow up at to that extent, I mean, you can hear... It, the Jazz broadcast actually was quite good at, at muting the sounds of Quinn yeah. Snyder, uh, undoubtedly because they're used to the the eruptions of Jerry Sloan and, and, and Ty Corbin somewhat in the past. But the Oklahoma City broadcast did not really cut out on uh-huh. what Quinn was saying, and, and it was it was ferocious. You know, the the words and tone matched his face, if you will. And it's a bit of a boy cried wolf situation if he's pulling it out all the time, right? If that's the if a coach is constantly screaming at his players, then of course they're not going to respond to it. But if he's generally like Quinn is, a more measured, patient type of guy, then when it does come out like that, you know he means business. You know there's a reason why. I, I think it was great. I think it galvanized the team, no question. And in fact, I, I like he has not gone to that well at all. In, in any of the games that we've seen to the point where I thought it was intentional that it was, you know, just kind of the last trick he could use in order to get some life into his team. I thought it was intentional. And in fact, we heard from him post game, his answer on this surprised me. We asked whether or not it was an intentional or it was, it was pure emotion. And let's see what Quinn had to say. 
getting on my team. I was getting on my staff. I was beating myself up for not having us ready. I just felt like you know, there was no answers, and you get frustrated. Sometimes that frustration spills over into other parts of the game. I don't plan on doing that all the time. It's not really, you know, I got frustrated. You know, I think that happens. You know, normally I'm pretty composed, and I, I believe in, you know, in the referees do. You know, they, they're like us. They work as hard as they can, and, and uh, we all make mistakes, and it is what it is. I mean, that doesn't sound like a guy who just has had a massive 17-point win comeback over, you know, over one of the teams in his division. I, I think sounds that sounds a, like a guy who's a little bit embarrassed was, about yeah, what he's just I was, done. I was just going to say that. He totally sounds like almost like a little ashamed, like what you're, when your parents sit you down after you've done something bad when you're a kid. And you're like, well, I know I, I know I did the wrong thing. But, like, but at the same time, was it the wrong thing? I don't really think it was. Uh, it wasn't. I mean, so he had the quote today that he would spend $2,000, you know, th- which is a technical foul NBA fine, mm-hmm. any time for a win, you know, if, if that's what it takes. I was thinking. Would he tr- so? Would would Quinn spend a hundred grand if the Jazz could win fifty games? Yes. <laughs> do you think he'd do that? Do you think he'd take that a hundred grand out of his salary for fifty wins this season? But like you say, unfortunately, that that doesn't work. I yeah. I really did think that it was an intentional, like classic coach's playbook. You know, uh, that Jerry Sloan admitted that he would do things like that. Just you know, pick up a technical, just start yelling, just to get something out of his players. Yeah. Um, it, it wouldn't be the first time in Jazz history, but it. it really seems like Quinn, you know, really felt this frustration that we see in his face on the sidelines, but we haven't seen erupt to that extent thus far. And I, you know, I was on Twitter at the time, and that was the first reaction from most people is, oh, you know, here goes, this is Quinn finally trying to take matters into his own hands and kind of by design doing this. Even at the time, I wasn't necessarily sure. I mean, just the raw emotion that went into it, it didn't seem to me, like, unless he's a really good actor, maybe he did some theater in high school or something, <laughs> but uh, it, it didn't seem like that to me. But so here's my question. We've seen, like I was mentioning before, we've seen in the past, in past years when Ty Corbin was the head coach, we saw stuff like this, like this sort of thing happened. He would freak sometimes on the refs, sometimes on his players. You probably saw more of it than I did because you were attending practice every night. Not that he was spending most of practice screaming at his guys or anything, but so what's the, what's the difference here? What's the difference in the way that it was perceived now? Whereas maybe the jazz players didn't always respond to it the same way. Was it a bit of that boy cry wolf that I'm talking about where Ty did it too often? Uh, I think it's the difference between the fir- yeah the first time you go to that well and-, and honestly Quinn has more of a rapport with his players than I think Ty Corbin did during his entire tenure. I, you know I-, I think you see that from what Gordon Hayward and and Alec Burks and and you know even Trey Burke have to say about their head coach their n- new head coach in-, in Quinn Snyder and the things that they didn't say regarding Ty Corbin mm-hmm. um, and so. Seeing that emotion and, and really their friend makes a bigger difference than seeing someone seeing that reaction in a boss, which is I think what Ty Corbin was to last year's Jazz. Okay, and and then it is just a difference between the fourth year of a head coach compared to the first year of a head coach, and you know truthfully the stuff works in year one and not necessarily in years four. If it's especially if you're losing like the Jazz were, and you know maybe certain concepts start to get a little old after a while, you start right. getting tired of hearing the same stuff over and over and over again, right? But Ty uh, Ty was a- as em- evocative as Quinn was, maybe more so. On the on the sideline, you know, he was he was coaching, he was teaching, he was yelling. There was a lot of emotion there from Ty Corbin. I don't think it's fair to say, well, Quinn has more emotion, that's why he's a better coach. I mean, there's just so much more to it. Definitely. Well, so what? So what is more to it? Let's get in. I think we're, we want to get in a little bit to kind of 
as we're talking about Quinn, some early returns, right, on on what the Jazz can and Jazz fans can think of their new coach of the future because we've spent a lot of time talking about the players and all sorts of other stuff, and Quinn's been in there too. But I, I think it's a fair topic to discuss sort of how he how he's impacted the team. Like, how is the team doing differently this year from, let's say, if they had uh, extended Ty Corbin a new contract and, and brought him back? What are what are some of the differences that we see? What are, what are a few of the things you noticed? I mean, so one difference I haven't seen is really defensive um, outcome, right? I mean, the Jazz are still one of the worst defensive teams in the league. That's something that surprised me. I, I, truthfully, the biggest differences I see are shot selection. The Jazz are taking much different shots and, and are getting to those shots in different ways. You know, uh, last season, Gordon Hayward took a lot of three-point attempts, but they weren't assisted. This year, he's taking a lot of a lot more assisted of those three-point attempts. Um, you know, the rotation, I, I think, is a little bit more solid than, than Ty's was. In particular, Ty's um, love, I, I think love is a fair word for Richard Jefferson and Marvin Williams. He, I, he love really is did a fair word. Love <laughs> RJ and, and and Marv and just like loved their veteran presence and their their savvy try hard all the time attitude and effort, which unfortunately isn't enough to win basketball games. Yeah, and is it is that is that all though? Is it just a, mo- a little bit? I mean, that's when you break it down. What that really is is just kind of being a little bit of a better basketball coach, right? Like just just recognizing <laughs> just not playing Richard Jefferson yeah, and, and Marvin Williams big minutes. Recognizing certain lineups and rotations that you need at. What do you think of his rotations? Uh, I think the rotations are good. I mean, the big I think the biggest thing you can look at as a negative for Quinn Snyder thus far, maybe besides the defense, is that he pulls his guys too early for foul trouble, and that's mm-hmm. something we've talked about before. But beyond that, I think he's making the right calls. I mean, we've seen how Joe Ingles seems to help the Jazz when he's on the floor. Um, you know, to pull him from obscurity to put him in the rotation has seemed to be a good call thus far. Uh, how he's playing Dante, it seems like a stroke of genius. He seems, you know, that he's not overwhelmed. He's still playing in the game. He's he's able to impact it and and impact it by shooting and and on the defensive side of the floor. Um, and he's playing favors in Cantor more than they have in, in their careers. Um, he's getting the most out of Gordon Hayward. I mean, there's a lot there that he's doing differently. Obviously, I think the biggest one is the offensive system that allows all of those guys to, to put out their best efforts. I would definitely, especially as far as Dante, I would definitely agree. He, I mean, I agree with everything you just said, but uh, I, I really like the way he's he's not overextending Dante, but at the same time allowing us to still be pleasantly surprised by everything that's going on with him. Just the, I think his, the, the, as far as rotations go, have been picture perfect as far for Dante. Getting him out at exactly the right times, getting him in exactly when he needs to be there, and allowing him in uh, in most cases to to be himself and to sometimes make his own mistakes and to learn from them. But and yeah, as uh, the team as a whole, you mentioned the assists before. The whole team is up uh, in terms of the field goal, their made field goal assists. They were like fifty six percent last year, roughly up to sixty percent this wow. year. That's a reasonable size increase when you think about it, especially considering all the baskets you're going to have that are never going to be assisted, like offensive rebounds and second chance points, and sometimes in transition and things like that there's a fair percentage of points that are just never going to be assisted so a four percent increase is pretty good yeah no I, I think that's you know two to three points a game which is is enough to move you a couple wins up in the standings mm-hmm. over the course of an 82 game season um we mentioned the shot selection and, and david Locke tweeted this stat out earlier that the jazz are taking 64.6 percent of their shots in the restricted area or from behind the three-point line that's the third highest percentage in the league 
In, in other words, the Jazz are going away from kind of the, the Jazz offense of old, uh, which did involve a lot of two-point shots. It, it involved a lot of layups, let's be fair, but it involved a lot of those two-point shots. But then uh, are, are taking those modern-day Mori Ball efficient shots, you know, not as, uh, as extensively as the Houston Rockets, but third highest in the league is good to see. No one can take them like the Houston Rockets. It's, <laughs> if you have you gone and looked at them, it's like lunacy looking at those numbers. Their percent of mid-range shots that they've taken is like three percent or something ridiculous wow. like that there's no other team that's under like 14 percent or something like that well I'm... and the jazz just don't have the roster to do that sort of thing right no. i mean you don't have that much shooting on this roster to be able to get away with that. and you don't have a james harden who's capable of of essentially drawing both fouls and layups at insane rates that basically no other human can compete with um I've liked that. You said that. So they're third in the league, right? In terms of the the yes. those good the quote unquote good shot areas is how David Locke put it, I believe, in his tweet. And that that's by again those more ball principles that you're talking about. You want all your shots, at least as many of them as possible, in the good efficiency areas. Could it get even better? I've I I still see times where I'm seeing those 17 seconds left on the shot clock come around the pick, take the mid range jumper type thing. Is Quinn okay with that, or is he, or are those occasional blips that you're going to be willing to live with, or are those things that need a change and they could maybe even move up a little more there? I don't see that many of them, and so I, I guess it's not worrying to me. If it's an open shot, and it's an open shot, and you know, quite frankly, if it's a two or a three, I, I still want the open shot taken, um, even if it is a long two. You know, I, I'm still happy with that. Overall, I think we I think we differ slightly there. We may have found something we disagree on. This is good. We always disagree on things. It's, Don't even. Oh, no, it's true. Uh, I I think I might disagree a little. Those shots with that, specifically with the the shot clock, with that much time left on the shot clock, I just think that given the system and the players in it, and that they're already taking to it decently well, the Jazz are a borderline top ten efficiency offense, which is you know that's a really positive sign for mm -hmm. a team this young. I just think they can get better shots. I just think they can get better looks than a Trey Burke or Alec Burke's pull-up jumper that's often going to be slightly off balance, often going to be slightly on the move. They're, both those guys are actually making them at a pretty decent rate at the moment, especially Burke's, as I wrote in my piece earlier this week. But I just think they can get better shots. I, I think you're, you're never satisfied, Ben. It's true, I'm not. I, I think basically at some point you need to say, we're third in the league at a good stat. Things are great. I mean, this is the... the Five and seven Utah Jazz here. I, I, I think you know we have to be somewhat excited about their successes. And if they're top three in the league at something that's good, we should say thumbs up. You know, maybe we should improve the defense rather than talking about how to get from third to first. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's talk about the defense then. You yourself did a little bit of did a little bit of research earlier in the week. Am I right? Yeah. So you know, I'm trying to figure out why the Jazz defense is the way that it is. So you know, before the Oklahoma City game, it was ranked 28th in the league. Since then, and, and playing one of the worst offensive teams in the league has bumped it up to 26th. And, and so I was trying to figure out, yeah, why, why is this the case? Why is it that the Jazz are so bad? And, I, and it came down to two factors. It came down to the Jazz's second chance points. So the Jazz are allowing a decent amount of offensive rebounds, but more importantly, they're letting those putbacks go in for easy twos. Basically. Now, ju just so I can be clear here, and so the listeners can as well, that relates to, that could be a guy gets an offensive rebound, resets the offense, and then they end up scoring later? Or sure. is that a, or, okay, so yeah. it's, I was just making but sure I, it wasn't... You know, I don't see why that would be different than any other defensive possession. Yeah, oh yeah. I, I no, think it's those not. quick putbacks that we've seen mm. against some of the NBA's best big men. You know, we've seen it against, like, Roy Hibbert. We've seen it with Dirk a little bit. We've seen it with Blake Griffin. Um, those kind of baskets, I think, are hurting the Jazz a lot. 
And then the the second category that where the Jazz are not doing so well are these points off of turnovers, um, where the Jazz are actually, I believe, third worst in the league. The Jazz are actually worst in the league at those second chance points. Okay. So, uh, if you take away those two issues from the Jazz, you know, if you say, let's say that the Jazz were an average team at doing those two things, then the Jazz would actually have a, a good defense. The Jazz would have an above average defense. So, you know. Move, doing that would move them from 26th to something like 13th. Wow. That would be a that would be a big deal. Now you know that's really easy to say that if you make their two worst characteristics decent, your defense is going to be good. I think you could do that for nearly any team in the league. But the thing that surprised me is I I don't think we thought this Jazz team would be bad at giving up second chance points because there are a lot there's a lot of rebounding talent on this roster. Yeah, definitely. I've projected the Jazz to be an excellent rebounding team all year. I still think they actually are a pretty de- a pretty decent overall rebounding team. But yeah, they've had some issues with the, and that's to me that's pretty amazing. Like yeah, they they are probably their two largest areas that they're struggling in. But the simple fact that just getting to league average and not even being excellent or removing those areas, just getting to the average in those areas would raise their defense from a bottom five unit to an above average overall. And again, we're talking about per 100 possession defense so that we can account for things like pace and how quickly teams move and everything like that. Right, because the Jazz are still playing super slow. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be wrong on that prediction that I made (laughs) for the year, but uh, I'm going to be wrong on like half those. So it's not surprising at all. Um, my, my, My question here is, what? How much of this is improvable? Because I, I think a lot. Pers- I think a lot, too. And I think we saw that in the last two games, especially with regards to Alec Burks' rebounding. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in the show, but he put up 14 rebounds uh, Tuesday night against Oklahoma City. Game before against Toronto, he put up 10 rebounds. Both of those are career highs for him. But if he continues to rebound, I mean, obviously he's not going to average 10 rebounds per game. He's, he's still a shooting guard. But you know, if he can average, let's say, four or five, then that helps the Jazz on the defensive glass prevent those sort of second chance points, mm-hmm. a- and that's you know that fixes that biggest problem where they're literally worst in the league. That takes care of that. I, I think to a large extent, if the Jazz can get those long rebounds, definitely. And and you have to assume that a team this young, and of course, as we've said a million times, implementing a new system, that the turnovers are eventually going to start going down, right? And especially there are certain types of turnovers, right, that you really can't ever have. You can't have those turnovers where the, you know, the point guard gets stuck in the corner and gets up in the air and has to make a wild pass. They try and pass it back out to the top of the key. Somebody picks it off, fast break for a dunk, right? Those are the kind of turnovers you can't have. The sort that occasionally are going to be a little more acceptable, as we've discussed, or, you know, things like an errant pass that goes out of bounds on the baseline or or something like that. And I think over time, those are going to be the sorts of things the Jazz are going to improve. But I don't think it's those sort of turnovers that are the problem. And and the reason I say that is one, the Jazz are actually a better turnover team than last year mm-hmm. by a little bit, but still true. A- and two, that the Jazz aren't being killed on fast break points. In other words, it's not all out and out running shots in the first five seconds of the shot clock. It's actually seems to be like those secondary and tertiary breaks where the Jazz aren't getting to guys on the weak side or aren't getting to the fourth or fifth guy down the floor. So it's not categorized as a fast break point in the in the stats. It's just a point off a turnover. That's what seems to be killing the Jazz is, you know, they're getting back that first wave of transition D, but not necessarily the second. Okay, so as we when we discussed this last week as well about not maybe not picking up shooters coming over the half court and things like that, looks like that's still an issue then? Yes. Yes. I think so. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I think there's no question. And there's, and again, these are things when you have all your guys at an average age of like 23 and a half or whatever they are, or 24, that th- these, I think these are things that to some point you're going to have to accept. 
So, to wrap it up, if you had to give a grade to Quinn Snyder's coaching thus far, letter grade A, a through F. Oh, put me on the spot, would you? I would say a solid B. I'd, I'd do better. I, I, I think, given the schedule thus far, I, I, yeah, I go A-. minus. I, I really do. I, th- I think that's he's shown an, an ability to get the most out of his players for the most part, to be decent enough on the road, which is something the Jazz have always struggled with, and to get some impressive wins uh, at uh, against teams at home. I mean, I mean, I think that's that's kind of all you want out of the first part of the season. Yeah, yeah. I'm probably underselling a bit. As we said, I'm never, <laughs> I'm never happy. You're with never anything, satisfied. But uh, no, and, and I guess I, I talked a little bit because I think there are still issues with the foul thing, as we discussed last week. We don't need to keep going into it, but I think that's still a thing that you have to worry about down the line and and if when this team is competing for real things that that remains a problem then it's that's when it's going to be a real issue you know um and I docked a bit for that and a bit because early on in the season I didn't love his rotations although he's he's totally figured those out so actually I I really shouldn't be docking anything there and it should be more like a b plus but (laughs) yeah whatever b plus a minus I'm still more positive than you as as is always the case on the show All right, next segment, we'll have Laura Thompson, Salt City Hoops writer, give her reasons on why this jazz season has been so exciting to watch thus far. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the show. You're listening to the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. My name's Andy Larson alongside Ben Dowsett. By the way, you can follow us on Twitter at Andy B. Larson or at Ben underscore Dowsett. Andy Blarson. Andy Blarson, yes. Um, that That's the unofficial pronunciation of my name. You know, that's that's the second or third one in, in the dictionary after <laughs> the real one. It's not like Larson's a hard na- name to, to pronounce, I, I don't we think. we got to make it a little more complicated, so we put the B <sighs> in there. Regardless. Um, so anyway, that's where you can find us. And of course, you can find all of our writing at saltcityhoops.com, as well as, you know, like on ESPN.com sometimes when they, they ask us to fill in. Um, joining us now, though, is another Salt City Hoops writer, Laura Thompson. You can f- actually follow her at Hoops Laureate, one of the better Twitter handles in the game. I love it. Laura, are you there? I am. How are you guys doing? Good. So we're having you on the show today because you're an excited jazz fan. And today on your post, you, you fangirled out a little bit about the Utah Jazz and how well they've done thus far. You know, sure, they don't have an above 500 record, but there are reasons to be excited about this team, right? I totally fangirled out, although I do have to pause and give some uh, some props to Spencer Ryan Hall, who actually was the gentleman who helped me get to that Twitter handle. So I, I wish I could say I came up with that on my own, but that was uh, that was his idea. The the man Spencer is always creative. Exactly, exactly. But yes, I am super pumped about the Jazz this year. I mean, maybe it's uncool to be all fangirly about it, but I don't know. Just these first few weeks of the season have me totally pumped. Uh, this is a different brand of basketball that we've been watching, and for me, it's a whole lot more exciting to watch, and it's a whole lot easier to root for. So I don't know. I've I've been loving it. What about you guys? Oh, totally, and I don't think it's it's fangirly, or in my case, fanboy e. However, <laughs> however one would say that fanboy. I, I, I don't think so at all. You know, Andy and I, and people like us, we we get all analytical about stuff, and we you know all the facts and the figures, and we try and be, of course, as objective as we can when we're doing those sorts of things. But you know, I'm from here. This is the team that I've rooted for since I was a kid, and frankly. I'm on Jazz game nights. I'm slightly more stoked to be watching their games than I was. What specifically has have you enjoyed so far, Laura? So for me, it's been the passing more than anything. I know initially going into the season, we kept hearing about pace, and I, if I'm remembering right, the numbers don't quite uh, back that up. That that was going to be quite what we were expecting. But for me, it's just been the passing, and I know 
you know, sometimes some players kind of worry, hey, if I pass the ball, I'm not going to get it back. It doesn't seem like that's the case with this team this year. And it's just been really fun when the, the game in particular that really stood out to me post-preseason was the, the Suns game, where it was almost like I was getting dizzy just kind of watching all the passes going back and forth and the teams going back and forth. I thought it was just really exciting to see that these guys are passing, they're cutting, they're hustling. We're an athletic team, which hasn't always been the case. So for me, it's just kind of that combination of the passing, the athleticism, the length, um, seeing the emergence of the players that we've been talking about being developed for so long seems to be happening more this year than in previous years. So to me, that's really exciting, too. So to back up your point, I, I just looked it up. The Jazz are indeed leading the league in passes per game by more than 19 passes per game. I mean, that that's kind of a big deal. They're they're leading the the Knicks by the, is the second most passing team, which is a little bit surprising to me. But um, That's actually shocking <laughs> to me. How in the yeah, world is that possible? But regardless, the Jazz have the, number, the most passes per game in the league, which, you know, is, is something that... Uh, they did well last year, but these these passes seem to be with more of with a purpose. I, I, Laura, I wanted to ask you, um, what's the biggest difference between this year and last for you? Um, and Ty me, Corbin is an is an okay answer. Is an okay answer. Can I have a tie for an answer? I mean, for me, it's sure. the coaching shift. Obviously, is huge. You know, we've got a new system. We've got this. You know, play with the pass. We've got play with purpose. Um, so those are and play with pace. So those are three really huge changes that go under the, the coaching umbrella. And then I think I, maybe it's cliche at this point, but Gordon Hayward has just been phenomenal this year. And I wasn't expecting him to be this good this fast, considering how inefficient he was last year. And that's probably tied very closely in with Quinn Snyder and his new system. But those two things to me have just made this year so much fun to get excited about. I mean, like Ben was saying, you know, he grew up in Utah. He lives there. For him, it's fun to be able to root for the team he lives. I don't live in Utah, but it's so exciting for me to be excited about the team again, where the last few years I, I, it wasn't. But this, this brand of basketball is really fun. And Gordon Hayward, you've got one of the most unselfish players in the league, but he's also been super confident this year. He's taking, taking it to the hole. He's playing defense. He's still getting those awesome chase down blocks. But he's also hitting, he's hitting the three, and he's not taking a lot of long twos. So it's just the efficiency with which he's playing this year has been remarkable, and I wasn't expecting it to that degree this soon. I mean, you put in your piece th through 12 games last year. This is as simple as stats get, but it's, I mean, it's, it means something. Through 12 games last year, the team was 1-11. and 11. And through 12 games this year, they're 5-7. and seven. Just that by itself, I think there's a lot to be said. And especially, I mean, I think they've played a harder schedule for the first 12 games this year than they did last I year. I agree. Right? Like, I, almost unquestionably. <laughs> and there is, you know, that to be said that last year, Trey Burke was injured, and we didn't, you know, John Lucas III was, was the starting point guard, and that's obviously going to be problematic. But I think it's just, gosh, this year has been so much more fun, so much more exciting. I think we're seeing the blueprint that Dennis Lindsay had been talking about in action, and we see where this is going. And just knowing that there's a vision and that there's a direction and that we're getting there with purpose, for me, has been really exciting to see it on the court. So I'll put you on the spot just a little bit. What do you think? You're talking about sort of the, the vision. What, what do you think is the next step to, to sort of continuing that? Whether it doesn't have to be this year, because I think even if this were the most progress they've made, it would still be a successful year. Uh, but going forward, what do you think is, is sort of the next thing that you, from your angle at least, that you want to see? Um, so for me, it would be two things. Number one, it would be defense. You know, we were hearing about defense being the big focus this year, and we haven't seen that in the numbers yet. But I, I think that they are laying the foundation to be a good defensive team, and, and hopefully that that will happen by the end of this year and hopefully next year. I wrote a piece, that I want to say like a year ago, that um, oftentimes the, the coaches that have the defensive impact that happens in their second year, 
Um, and then, you know, Jeff Hornacek and um, the Charlotte coach, I'm blanking on his name right now, they just totally threw that out the door last year with their first year being coaches. And, you know, they had these great defensive jumps. But historically, often the second year happens. So I'm hoping that happens next year, is that there's a big defensive jump next year. And then I think the other thing is, um, might not be next year, but maybe the year after. You know, what does uh, Dante Exum become? You know, does he become that superstar that we've been craving for so long? Or is that something that Gordon Hayward ends up becoming? I think seeing who, who is going to really uh, kind of grow into that role of superstar would be, would be very interesting. Hopefully we have one. You know, we know it's very much a league of superstars when it comes to winning championships. Um, so if we could both figure out defense and then who's going to be our go-to guy, I think those to me are, are going to be the big key following this year. And Laura, to your point, and this isn't really a question, but Chad Ford today had a, his podcast on ESPN where he was asked about Dante Exum and you know what jazz and what the Jazz Brass thought about him, and in particular they said you know we're really excited about where he is right now. We know he's only nineteen, twenty years old, but that he's showing what he is shoot, showing as far as shooting and defense, and we know that he's has the work ethic in order to improve and get better. Mm-hmm. They're already penciling him in as the number one option you know, two to three years down the road. They're, they think that he's ready to explode onto this league. So that, that the Jazz brass, that the people who see Dante Exum practice and play every day think that about him and his potential. And, you know, obviously you're going to have good feelings about your own players, but that's encouraging to see <laughs> that they're completely on board that Dante Exum is going to be a superstar train. Yeah, and I think what's been surprising to me anyway is, you know, we kept hearing leading up to the draft how, uh, defense was his weak point and shooting was his weak point. But we've seen pretty decent strides in just a short period of time that his footwork is pretty good, his length bothers opposing point guards, and he's hit some three-point shots. I mean, the mid-range game hasn't been there, the driving game hasn't been there a ton, but we've been seeing um, glimpses of him actually being pretty dang good in the areas he supposedly wasn't going to be very good in. So, I don't know. I'm, I've been very encouraged with what I've seen from him in a short period of time. I just – I'm – I'm a fangirl right now. I'm just super excited about this team. <laughs> Laura is my is my opposite. She's super positive about everything where I, <laughs> I, I find something wrong in, in everything I possibly can. Well, Laura, that hasn't been my stance entirely over the last two years. So for me, it's, it's a fun change after the last few years of being pretty uh, pretty critical and pretty cynical about the team. So it's been fun. Well, and I think it's cool because you are an out of state fan. You know, you you don't have the the local experience of being around and a, a bunch of jazz fans all the time you know the jazz really used to get those sort of fans in the stockton to malone days just through their style of play and it, it's cool to see that that's kind of happening again that, that you know i don't know you're obviously not a new fan but to see that that excitement around the team is, is even extending to other parts of the world besides just salt lake city and besides Australia, or especially because of Australia, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Laura, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Again, you can follow Laura at Hoops Laureate. Uh, yeah, thanks again. Thanks, you guys. Thank you, Laura. You know, I really like that perspective. The the all i tend to ingest and of course write myself is like i said, kind of the the more the the more analytical you're a hater. So I'm, well, if no, she's a no, fanboy, no. you're a hater. No, I didn't mean like that. <laughs> more, you know, the 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 numbers and the analytics and the objective side. And it's it's nice to ever. You, there's a reason why people are so interested in this game and why there's so much money in it. And it, it's because it's fun and it's it's can be an, at times an escape from the 
crappy lives that we lead otherwise and, and so on and so forth. <laughs> no, I, I agree. The NBA is the most fun sport there is. And I, I, I mean, I'm biased, but I don't think there's any question. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in our Around the NBA segment coming up. But, you know, to continue the optimism path, next segment we'll be talking about Gordon Hayward and whether or not he can make the All-Star team. He has made that huge leap this season. We'll talk about what that leap is and whether or not Gordon Hayward can be on that 12-man Western Conference All-Star roster coming up next on Salt City Hoops. You're listening to it on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association, this is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. This is indeed Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett on the other side of the table. So we want to talk about, and we just heard from Laura Thompson, Salt City Hoops writer, about how exciting Gordon Hayward's play has been. And indeed, he's taken a big leap this season. Can he make the All-Star team? I think it's a very, very intriguing question, and I was I was getting into this on my Twitter account about a week, not quite a week ago, a little under a week ago, after another, I think, another one of his very good games. So this is the way I went about it. I went and found last year's uh, All-Star Game rosters for the Western Conference. I'm just going to read it off real quick. We had the starters, Steph Curry, James Harden, and then uh, Kevin Durant, Blake Griffin, Kevin Love. And then as the reserves, we had Dwight Howard, Lamarcus Aldridge, Dirk Nowitzki, Chris Paul, Tony Parker, Damian Lillard, and originally Kobe Bryant, although because of his injury, he was then replaced by Anthony Davis. I love that he was voted in even though he played like four games last yeah, season. Yeah, I know. It's Which, he's played more than four games this season, but <laughs> whether or not he's been more productive is a topic of debate, and he's probably going to be voted in again, which is part of the calculus that we're going to go into here. So, I just named how many? 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 players, but really it's only 12 because there's not. you assume there's not going to be an injury replacement this year. Let's, if it's 12 players of those that group from last year, we know that Kevin Love's not going to be in there because he's in the East now. We know Kevin Durant is not going to be in there because he's been hurt. So there's two spots that are going to open up. Just a quick thought. What if Kevin Durant gets voted as All-Stars starting forward and then is healthy by All-Star time? Oh, well, that's going to make it even harder if that okay. happens. <laughs> in okay. fact, based on the, the, the arithmetic that I did, I would say at that point, well, if both he and Kobe get voted in as starters— I would say it's nearly impossible for Gordon to make the team, which is which is really too bad, especially in Kobe's case, because you would think maybe an elder statesman like him would do the right thing and turn it down or something, so that one of these younger no, guys. No, Kobe's would, all about. But of Kobe. course not. He wants to have one more All Star appearance on his end of and end of career record. So, yeah. but if you look at so let's just say for the sake of argument that that doesn't happen with Durant, that people are reasonable there, and he's missed the entire year so far, and they don't vote him in, and so you and you're missing Love as well. Who are the other group of the of the players I mentioned? Who else could drop out? The the one that I think would be most likely would be Tony Parker. Not that he hasn't been great, he has, but just because the Spurs are not they've been a little bit sluggish to start and even if they're not sluggish, they don't rely on any one player necessarily enough for that guy to even make it. So do the last year's NBA champions send zero all-star representatives? It sounds super goofy, right? And you almost feel like maybe he gets the selection just because it's like, well, the best team or one of the best teams has to have a, a guy that makes the team. But I, you know, and I, I guess I haven't looked super in-depth at his numbers and compared them to someone like Haywards, which of course they'll be very different because they play different positions. But I think he's at least a possible to drop out. But now okay. on the flip side, we have to account for a couple guys that are almost certainly going to be entering that roster ahead of Gordon Hayward. The first, of course, would be DeMarcus Cousins in Sacramento, who I think at this point, barring an injury, is a, a lock, right? Would you you would agree? Yeah, he's he's been fantastic this yeah, year. Yeah, he's been really, really good. He deserves it. And 
The other that I would say is probably at this point, although I think it's a debate, would be Clay Thompson uh, of Golden State, who he signed an extension over the summer as well and has been very, very good, if not excellent. Well, let's talk about that. So Gordon Hayward this year, let's, let's talk about first the leap that Gordon Hayward's made. Mm-hmm. You know, last year he put up a 16 PR, was only shooting, let's see, 41% from the field, only 30% from the three. And, and this year he's done everything more efficiently and done more of it. So he's putting up a 22 PER, one of the top 15 players in the league in terms of that statistic. Uh, he's putting up a improved rebounding percentage. He's putting up the same assist numbers as before. Uh, he's using more possessions, and he's turning over the ball less while putting the ball into the hoop more. And as as the, the saying says, it's all about buckets. Gordon Hayward's putting in more buckets. And, of course, you know, more rebounds, turning, over, turning the ball over less, too. It's been an all-around great year for... Gordon Hayward, but it, it's been a good year for Clay Thompson, too. Definitely, and if you look at something like PER, which, again, for our listeners who don't know, is sort of an overall uh, metric that encompasses all of a player's statistical accomplishments on the court, and league average is always going to be 15, so anything in the mid-20s is going to be near all-star level, and anything yeah. high-20s is LeBron and Durant level, essentially. Right. And their PERs are very close together. I think they're, they're decimals off from each other. And you can look at a number of differences and similarities between the two. They definitely play very, very different roles. There's, you know, Clay Thompson is unquestionably not the first option on his team, whereas I think that's not, that's not the case for Gordon Hayward, who probably is, even if the Jazz are playing a little bit more of a team-oriented system than they did last year. I think it's really close, the, the fact that Thompson plays in you you would hope that this wouldn't mean anything especially because neither of these guys is going to be starting meaning that it doesn't matter for the fan vote and it's just a coach's decision at that point you'd hope the size of their market or the popularity of their team wouldn't play in but i think there have been cases in the past where even with the coaches we've well, seen that happen how about wins right and wins and that's, <laughs> that's, a, see, that's, that's a thing, thing too is that their team is a lot better right and but now but of course they're going to have an all-star starter on the, from that team as well. And maybe you could put a little bit more of that win total on him. Maybe you could put yeah. uh, the Jazz definitely don't have Andrew Bogut blocking the rim. Uh, or, well, they have Rudy Gobert, but he's it, overall not quite what a, what a Bogut no, is No, but I don't think anyone's arguing that the supporting cast around Golden State's better than the supporting cast of around Gordon Hayward. Absolutely. Like, not, probably not even close at the moment. Right. And... So that one, I think, is close. But then you, from there, you're looking at maybe some guys like a Rudy Gay, who has played also really well in Sacramento, although he may have some of the same issues with win total if Sacramento comes back to earth a little bit from all the crazy winning that they've been doing. But who knows? They might That might not happen. Um, you mentioned Blake while we were in the break. Do you think there's any chance that Blake doesn't make this team? No, and I think he's probably voted in. Yeah, that's what that was what I thought initially. He's he's got so much name value, and people. Uh, the All Star Game is the exact format you want to see a guy like that in, so he that's can true. throw down as many dunks as possible. That's true. Gordon Hayward's kind of a boring All Star Game participant. Exactly. If, if you want the most exciting All Star Game possible, maybe maybe Blake's the way to go. Definitely, and you know I can't see of any of Dwight, Lamarcus, or Dirk dropping out. Anthony Davis, of course, is going to make it. He he might even start. Um, I think it's going to be tough. It's going to come down to it. In my mind, though, if both Kobe and Durant, as you mentioned, I hadn't even thought of that when I was initially. I just kind of penciled him as out 
originally. If that were, if both he and Kobe were to manage to get in, it's it's going to be really tough because I I don't think Gordon has any claim in over a guy like Boogie Cousins. So that's the thing is if there are kind of these three spots available, then you say he probably gets in. If there are two spots available, he probably doesn't get in. Is that fair to say? Going to be real close with a guy like Thompson for that second spot there. Yeah, and m- maybe Parker falls out. I don't think that's impossible. I think. Okay. Uh, and you know, Damian Lillard did. He's playing really well now, but he did have a slightly rough start to the season. I don't see that continuing. If he, if he continues to play like he has been lately, I think he's back on the team. But uh, Yeah, and I, I think that's fair. I, I It's so hard because – and maybe an injury happens. You know, Maybe a guy mm-hmm. picks up like a, you know, like a plantar fasciitis thing, just kind of a small ticky-tack injury that makes him sit out of the All-Star game, but they still need a replacement for that. You know, There could still be more injuries between now and February is, yeah. is what I'm saying. And he'll be high on the list if that were to happen and if, and if he were, of course, to not be on the, the, the regular roster before that. He is also the – you know, love child of of Doc Rivers. I don't know if love child's the right way to put it, but probably not. <laughs> is the you know, we should probably avoid that. Um, is the the favorite player? <laughs> oh, lovely. He's he's Doc Rivers' favorite player. He said that is in an, in an interview. Yeah, and, and and well, does Doc have a say? Probably not. Right? It's well, okay. No, it's the coaches that vote on it. is is a process. So all yeah. the Western Conference coaches. So he does have a say whether or not the one Gordon Hayward Doc Rivers vote. And I think Doc Rivers will vote for Gordon Hayward because he has been effusive in his love. Okay. Um, for Gordon Hayward. I, I don't know if that's enough from all of the NBA's Western Conference coaches. And, you know, this whole process, just going through this arithmetic myself, it, it kind of illustrates just, you know, every year when there's the All-Star game, you hear people screaming to the rafters about, this you know, this guy got snubbed, this guy got robbed, so on and so forth. But what we just did, that process kind of illustrates there's only 12 spots. There's a lot of really good players in the NBA. 12 spots on for each conference's All-Star team means 24 total players. That means that at least six teams are not going to have a player that's there, right. which means the best player on at least six teams are not going to make it. So, and it might be fair to say that the Jazz is one of those, probably the worst six teams in the West, right? I mean, yeah. Unfortunately. Um, or one of the, well, one of the, but one of the maybe three, Maybe they though, don't deserve one the, of those players. Between the two, yeah, but then you have to think about teams like the, the Clippers, who are probably going to have two, like right. the Rockets, who are definitely right. going to have two, so on and so forth. It gets kind of tough from that. I, I would say there's like a 25% chance. That Hayward makes the All Star team, and he would have honestly, he would have to keep up at least the level of play he's currently. Hey, the last couple of games were slightly down for him, not bad by any means, but he'd have to get back to what he was doing at the start of the regular season. That if he was able in that twenty four, twenty five per range, which again I mentioned, that's approaching the real elites of the league, then I, I think it's going to be at least a little tougher to keep him out. Angie Treasure on Twitter, by the way, says that man, thank you, thank Fair. you, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> thank you, Angie. As always, we're going to go ahead and take a break if, just to avoid the awkwardness of what I've said on the air. <laughs> uh, next, next on the show, we're going to have Nate Duncan of Basketball Insiders bringing his national NBA expertise to what he thinks about the Utah Jazz and the association as a whole. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. You know, love child of, of Doc Rivers. Analytics and opinions on the Jazz and the rest of the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the show. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. 
I'm Andy Larson alongside Ben Dowsett on the other side of the table. I guess not alongside, but regardless. I also want to give a shout out to our producer, John LaFollette, for making me look bad at the end of the last segment. <laughs> Usually does an excellent job. I, I'm throwing some shade at you for, for what you just did. You did it to yourself, Andy. <laughs> for the good of the masses. Oh, boy. Um, regardless, so we'll have D- Nate Duncan on the show shortly. Um, he, we're trying to reach him and, and just get that connection through. Uh, so, oh, we are good to go. Cool. We've got Nate Duncan on the line. Nate, are you there? I am indeed. Good to be on, guys. How are you doing? Good. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on the show. No problem. Always good to uh, do something with the Utah market. Uh, some of the most passionate fans and uh, some of the most appreciative. So it's uh, it's always nice to interact with them. I was going to say, do do jazz fans annoy you? I I know they annoy some national writers. No, I wouldn't say so, although I, I guess I'm largely positive about the team. I think also just the level of, you know, they're not good enough to be playing the we're not getting any respect cards, <laughs> you know, kind of the way they did back in like the Darren Williams, Boozer era. And, and actually some of those teams were pretty underrated. Like that 08 team was, uh, you know, sort of a very underrated team that I think just, you know, got a bad matchup against the Lakers in the, uh, in the playoffs that year. But anyway, we digress. Uh, what do you guys want to talk about? Well, let's talk about the Jazz this season then. How, how do you think they're matching up to your expectations of the team going into the season? Well, they've, they've looked pretty good. I think uh, they've exceeded expectations offensively and slightly disappointed defensively. And, and perhaps the defensive expectations, considering that they're 30th in uh, offensive rating last year, were a little higher, but, you know, there's a lot of noise coming out about how Quinn Snyder is really going to help uh, improve the transition defense and, you know, Rudy Gobert is going to get more time and, you know, everyone is going to be a year more experienced. But, you know, it hasn't quite translated. But I think the fact that the offense has been so good is more encouraging for the long-term outlook because I think the defense, especially given just the raw physical talent on the team, is something that's easier to improve than if you just can't score. That's that's kind of what I was going to ask, Nate. Is it with the the defensive issues? How much of those do you think are issues like you know a new coach coming in and you have to institute a new system that guys maybe aren't a little bit used to? And of course, the fact that every relevant player on the team is under twenty six on the roster. How much of that do you think is is going to be fixable in the long term? Well, I mean, let's let's kind of go through position by position. I mean, I think you know the two players that I really feel like just may not have it in them to be good on the def- defensive end, at least among the core, would be Burke and Cantor. Um, I mean, I think you can also sort of say that those guys are the two guys who are most likely of the young players to not really be a part of the next great Jazz team. Um, so I think I, I think there is a pretty good potential for improvement because with guys like Favors, Gobert, Gordon Hayward's a pretty long, active guy. Alec Burks is good on ball. He's just got to improve a lot off ball. Uh, and then Exum as well has already shown some nice flashes. So I, I think there is the potential to be a very good defensive team, especially if they can figure out a way to make it so Gobert and Favors could play together and not kill them on the offense. You, you mentioned Dante Exum's play thus far, and, and I believe you wrote about him uh, either, I believe, yesterday. Um, what is it? What have you seen out of Dante Axum thus far? What is you know? Where is he measuring up to you? And and again, relative to your expectations as well. 
Well, he's, I, I think he's shown much more potential in the floor game. When I first wrote about him going into the draft, I noted that he basically, in what little film was available, did absolutely nothing at any time when the ball wasn't in his hands. <laughs> and, you know, that could be a function of the role that he had on these less talented teams that he was on, both in the Australian U19s and obviously Australian high school basketball, you know, or just that he wasn't asked to do that or, you know, wasn't in shape enough to do that, whatever. But he actually has not been a complete disaster on defense. And I thought that he would be, and he would be so unplayable that he really, you know, would be getting entitlement minutes and really hurting the Jazz bench units. And that hasn't necessarily been the case so far. Uh, so I think that's been very encouraging. Uh, I was higher on his ability as a standstill three-point shooter right out of the gate than a lot of people. I thought a lot of people talked about his jump shooting as a weakness. I thought with his good form and uh, the way he rises on balance really well, I thought he was going to be fine there, and he's looked pretty good in that respect so far. I mean, that could just be, you know, that may regress a little bit, but he's, he's looked good from beyond the three-point line. Uh, and his passing vision has been, uh, I think, as good as anyone could have hoped. Um, the only disappointing aspect has been he's not getting to the basket and finishing quite as much as you would have hoped. And he really doesn't have any moves off the dribble either. You know, he's not his one-on-one moves. He hasn't shown the ability to get by his man in an isolation. You know, not something he's been asked to do a ton, but you know, he kind of dribbles a lot and doesn't really go anywhere sometimes. I, I feel smart now. I said the same thing about his jumper when he was first coming in that I didn't think it was broken or anything, and I am super vindicated now about that uh guys again we got nate duncan on the line here at nate duncan nba on twitter one of the best follows you will find during uh gameplay nate you you watch a lot of international basketball as well did you get a chance to see dante at all before the draft or no well i i I watched the u19s as much as i could find live i think i watched two games including the one where he just went nuts against the Spanish team, which was not a particularly great addition of the Spanish team compared to some of their other youth teams. Uh, and he didn't play that much against the U.S. because uh, he left with an ankle injury after a few minutes. Um, so I saw that. And then, you know, it was beyond that, it was grainy YouTube clips uh, of him playing high school basketball and then the hoop summit. So really, you know, five, six games or so was all it ended up being. Okay, so it's it's kind of hard, or can be kind of hard at times to gauge a full level of expectations from him. But I think there's I think there's no question that he's exceeded a lot of them, and defensively especially, it's something that I've been really high on. And his we're seeing him, and correct me if you've seen something different here. With I'm I'm seeing him get beaten by first moves fairly often by guys because he's 19 years old and he doesn't quite have it down yet in terms of head fakes and 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 things like that. But he is recover his recovery speed is absolutely ridiculous. Is, are you seeing the same thing? Yeah, I am. I think he and I think you know just in straight up isolations, he you know when he knows it's coming as, as you said, and he really you know it's like all right, I gotta like really get in his stance and defend. Uh, he's look good and. You know, his lateral quickness at the combine sort of foretold that this would be the case. Obviously, his length as well. He's got pretty quick hands. So that's all That's all been pretty good. But I think just in terms of competing, um, you know, the Jazz have protected him some in, in his matchups. But he's, he's shown the ability to get over picks a little bit better, you know, execute on help defense at least to some degree. So, yeah, like I said, I mean, he's not, he's not killing him, which is 
uh, really much better than could have been expected at this point. And better than most rookies in the NBA. Yeah, that's a good point, too. I mean, you know, as I noted in my piece, I mean, you know, even if you just look at PR, which frankly probably overrates rookies because it doesn't capture, you know, where they're failing in the floor game and, and defensively, you know, there's, I think there are no rookies that have an above average PR. I mean, one of I me, mean, Aaron Gordon. And Dante is, uh, you know, has, has looked okay in, in that statistic. And he's, you know, the Jazz haven't been terrible with him on the floor either. So, yeah, I mean, when, when you look at, especially considering his age, his experience level, uh, you know, I think pretty much almost entirely encouraging other than the one issue with really getting to the basket and scoring there that I mentioned. Let me weave you into our last conversation before you joined us, which was whether or not Gordon Hayward can make this all-star team. So Gordon Hayward's taken a big leap. He's in both responsibility and production this year, you know, is, is a much more efficient player than he was last season. And some people are talking about whether or not he can make the all-star team. Again, as an outside observer, do you see that being a possibility? Oh, uh, man, I would really have to go through and see who his competition is. And especially it's so hard too because you don't think the all-star team is thought of in a way that we don't think about basketball anymore. It's very archaic because, you know, we talk about point guards and wings and bigs and the all-star team, it's the forward slot, the guard slot. And then, you know, I guess they don't have center anymore, but so, yeah, I mean, it's really, it's probably too early to say, I mean, you know, maybe if Durant were, you know, his injury were to linger, that would probably help him at the forward spot. But, yeah, you know what, I, I got to be honest, I don't really think I have that much useful to add on the subject. Yeah, we, we kind of went through it before you were on, and we went through guys, we went through last year's roster, and obviously you're not going to have Love because he's in the East now, um, and we went through, you know, we what we essentially landed on is that if Durant is gonna is back in time to get voted in, plus you assume that Kobe is going to get the fan vote very undeservedly, but he's probably still going to get it, that it's going to be really tough when you include guys like Boogie and Clay Thompson, who are at least fairly like to probably get picked over Hayward, wouldn't you think? Yeah, you know, I think so. I mean, it, it really all depends on how the Jazz end up as a team. You know, they had a mm. reasonably successful road trip. If by some miracle they were able to get around 500 and they kind of get a little lucky, I mean, I think that, you know, most people would agree that, you know, getting to 500 this year is probably not going to happen. But, you know, let's say they get a little lucky and, and at the time when the teams are coming out, they're pretty close to it. You know, then maybe he starts getting some pub, which is a little bit of a shame because I think uh, Derek Favors is not getting quite as much credit for his amazing play. I mean, I, th- I think he's you know arguably been better than Gordon has so far. He has the higher PER. That's of course not that doesn't just solve the issue right there. But yeah, he's a productive. Yeah, product. I mean, it's certainly certainly a conversation that should be had uh, because he's you know both those guys really. I mean, they're viewed as really promising guys, and then. They last year happened, and they really individually didn't make the type of strides over their permanent production, and even in some cases went down a little bit. And so they kind of fell off the radar as potentially, you know, being good players. And now they've seemed to have kind of resumed that trajectory. And I think they're starting to show up a little bit more in the national consciousness now. What are your impressions of Quinn Snyder and and his offensive and defensive systems as far? You know, I, I guess both as a coach and what you see the product out on the floor. Oh, well, I mean, you can't argue with the offense. Um, I mean, both, I think the 
creative license that he's given some players, uh, you know, with Ennis Cantor shooting threes, Trevor Booker shooting threes, Derek Favors getting the ball, you know, on short rolls and being able to create from there. All those guys are really been asked to and have successfully so far expanded their games, which doesn't always work. I mean, if you look at Philadelphia, they're telling them, oh, yeah, take as many threes as you want and, you know, play at as fast a pace as you want, and they still have the worst offense. So, I mean, you got to have some talent. You have to let guys do what they can do. You know, it's not just a question of saying, okay, go do this, and they can do it. But I, I think that's been successful. You know, he's put guys in, in positions to succeed. Um, so, so really, I, I think it's, it's pretty, uh, you know, they've had some nice back doors. They, they move a lot. And the way in which he has been able to impart that system which is a fairly complex one and a massive departure from how they were playing before uh, to get the results that they've gotten so far is very, very encouraging. Absolutely. And, and swell, is there a, is there a, but defense there that goes, that goes along with that? You know, I think I, I need to look a little bit more closely at that. I mean, to really figure out where the intersection is between individual failings and if there is some problem with this, the system i mean you know there's always two components to a defensive system there's what you're supposed to be doing and then of course whether you're actually doing it or not um i do think that ultimately favors may not be quite the rim protector that it was hoped he would be and and that he might have appeared he was going to be in limited minutes you know in his first couple of years you know he's He's able to do pretty well offensively at center, but I'm not sure he quite is the deterrent at the basket that people had hoped, and so that's that's a little bit of a problem. Um, but and but I think a lot of it too is just you know Trey Burke can't get over screens, and his cancer isn't quite fast enough. So and Alec Burks, you know, still is is kind of you know a little bit flighty when it comes to executing the system off the ball, I, you know, I haven't seen anything to indicate that they, that the principles are bad. Uh, you know, I think it's just a question of physically being able to execute it and mentally being able to execute it at this point. And, you know, we'll see whether that improves or not. You mentioned favors and um, I'm going a little off the topic that we had originally had here, but I, I, this is something I've wanted to ask a really well-informed person about for a while. Um, I've maintained for a long time slightly opposite to what the Jazz have publicly, at least, that I do not believe Derek Favors is an NBA center. I believe specifically he's a power forward and that when put alongside a more, you said before, if they could get a favors, go bare front line to work where, where they weren't killing the offense and things like that. But even, you know, you see, it might be looking ahead a little bit too much, but you see a draft class upcoming this next year with a number of really, really talented centers in it and the Jazz potentially having another decent area lottery pick right there. Do you see favors as a center long term in the NBA? I think he's had big issues in the post versus guys that are bigger than him. He gives up post position a little bit too easily in terms of allowing guys to get their, get to their spots early. Early. And uh, like you said, I think maybe the rim protection hasn't been quite what it was advertised initially. Do you think this is more of a four and that the Jazz might be, I don't know if they're really thinking that way internally, but what they're saying out loud might be a little bit incorrect? Well, it's interesting, right? When uh, Favors and Cantor were brought to the team, Cantor was always the guy who was going to be the center and Favors was the power forward, right? I mean, and even even in college, I think it was Ganny Lawal who was the uh who is the center next to him, you know, that was, 
he was kind of the power forward. He was always viewed as a power forward prospect. He's put on some weight now. I mean, if the, if his listed weight is like, you know, he's in like the 260s now, you know, that's definitely like center banging weight. But yeah, I think he ultimately could be more effective as a power forward. And interestingly, he still is actually listed as the, you know, the starter at power forward and Canner is listed as the center, even though I think we sort of have now flipped that around in our uh, understanding. So I don't know. I, I think, yeah, he's probably going to struggle defensively a little bit as a center, but he's the best they got right now at this point. Unless he and, and he's too good of an offensive player right now to not be on the floor. So, you know, I mean, it's and he and Gobert, I I think, especially with the way that Snyder wants to play, they're just not going to have the spacing. I think you know that's going to be a goal for Favors. It will be to get a good enough outside shot so he can kind of hopefully get to about where Cantor is this year. And you remember in that one preseason game, they drew up a corner three for him, and then he said afterwards, you know, that's something I'm going to try and add next year. It's not quite there yet. So, yeah, you know, short answer uh, to sum up my long answer. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you there. Yeah, definitely. And I just think he has more of an advantage against power for you. You talked about the weight, which is a very real thing. But I think his agility that which has always been one of his largest advantages, I think that's going to give him a big where, you know, he's got a weight advantage over certain power forwards, meaning he can post them up and do things like that. We've seen a lot more of the post game from him this year, even as you say, playing more as a center. I think with that sort of advantage, plus the fact that he's going to be able to have the foot speed to compete with most of these fours, if not be slightly faster than some of them, I think there's a much bigger advantage there. And you're looking down the road, you're not sure what Gobert can eventually bring. You're not sure if Cantor is going to be a long-term piece. But if either of them works out, or if, as I was saying, you get a guy drafted who's going to be good there... I really think that he's going to be better with a, more of a true center next to him, and he can abuse guys at the four. That's my thought, at least. Um, we have Alec Burks was extended over the offseason as well, and along with uh, Gordon Hayward, he was more matched. Um, what do you? Th- what did you think of the extension, first of all? And then what do you think that Alec has done so far to either prove worth or not worth it? Uh, it was about right for the extension, I think, especially. And I, I did a piece about about it, saying that that was that's pretty much, uh, you know, right about where he should be. And then, you know, I think about a week later, that's, you know, he ended up getting the extension. And I think he's looked at his ability to uh, increase his volume on threes has been encouraging, uh, that he's still shooting pretty well on on catch and shoots has been encouraging. So that's, uh, I think, and, you know, aside from that, that's really all that's changed about him in these 10 games, or it looks like it's going to be better. But again, when you look at the way the jazz want to play, and especially if you were, you're going to try and get into a situation where you're going to have two front court guys, who don't shoot threes. Like he has to shoot threes and he's been able to do that so far. And his on ball defense has been, you know, has had some, some nice flashes. Cool. No, I I agree. I, I think that's about right. Last question before we let you go. I want to go around the NBA a little bit. What's the biggest surprise for you about this NBA season thus far? Oh, let's see. I think the way Cleveland has played thus far would be up there for me. I expected them to be a little bit more competent defensively, and I expected them to just be blowing the doors off everyone offensively which they haven't necessarily 
And actually, the other surprise I would say, which may mean something and but probably doesn't, is San Antonio's offense so far has been pretty miserable. Um, and people have, have talked about, and they've been missing a few guys, but not any more than they were last year when they were still playing very well offensively. And so they've been they've been missing some guys. People have been talking about, oh, there's a championship hangover, you know. So, but you would think that that would affect the defensive effort a little bit more, you know. It's, I feel like it's very rare that people will, because essentially what you're saying there, right, is, well, they're not trying as hard, they're not as focused. So you would think that would affect the defense. You don't talk about how a lack of effort is hurting your offense necessarily, but they've been pretty darn low in the rankings and they had they struggled in that Cleveland game to score against what had been a pretty putrid defense so it's it's gotten to the point now where that's something that needs to be looked at a little bit Tony Parker is not playing that well individually Tim Duncan although you know he was has gotten to the point where probably unless he has like a great matchup is not a very efficient post option um and uh Danny Green hasn't been able to hit a shot either that'll probably change but (laughs) It is. Those are uh, some things to to uh, take a look at so far. Well, Nate, thank you so much. I I really appreciate your your insight. And like Ben says, you really are one of the best Twitter follows uh, in the NBA. You know, leave aside your great writing for Basketball Insiders. Thanks so much again for joining us. Hi. Thanks for the kind words. Uh, happy to be on, guys. All right, that was Nate Duncan, and again, he even joined us for longer than he said he would. I mean, it, the man's amazing. Follow so nice. him at Nate Duncan NBA if if you haven't already. You should. I can't. If you really enjoy basketball, and like seriously, if you follow me, there should be <laughs> there should be no reason why you don't follow Nate. He does the same stuff I do, except way more and way better. So okay, you, yeah, you need you need to follow Nate, and especially for those who, as I said earlier, those who like to be on their Twitter during games and like to get some little nuggets for those games. There is no one better on the entire internet. He can't he can't add the Toronto Maple Leafs insight that you do though. Well, yeah, but I try not to tweet about them too much because it would just be a bunch of not safe for work stuff. That like, yeah, I and can't do he's that. not as pro Alec Burks. It, not he had he had some nice things to That's say. That's true. They're probably not quite as homerific as me. That's but. true. And you wrote you wrote kind of a, a hit piece on Alec Burks earlier. Uh, sort of a bit. I put lots of caveats in there about how okay. it's going to change. No, I I I believe in Alec Burks for this season, and I I think you know the extension was a good one. There's though there's still many many years left on it. Okay, well, that was Nate Duncan, NBA. Um, next, we'll go around the NBA next segment, um, talking about the Lakers, their week. Uh, as always, we have to talk about them. Law Lakers. The LOL Lakers. Um, oh, I say law. The LOL Lakers. Uh, the, the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Cleveland Cavaliers. We're going around the NBA next segment here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome back into the show, the Salt City Hoops show. You're listening to Andy Larson, Ben Dowsett, talking about basketball. We just had Nate Duncan on the show. Again, Nate's awesome. Thanks again for joining us. If you weren't able to listen to it, check it out on the podcast, which will be posted on ESPN 700 Sports later today. Um, And it's also on iTunes and Stitcher if you prefer to get your podcasts that way. I want to go around the NBA a little bit and talk about what's going on in the in the larger association. And as always, we should start at with with the LOL Laker update. 
your proud Los Angeles Lakers have won two games this week. Oh my goodness! <laughs> A two and two record, pushing them to three and nine on the season. Um, so first of all, the the first entertaining Laker game this week was the Laker Golden State game, in which they got out to a forty point deficit at home against the Golden State Warriors. Standard. Um, Steph Curry toyed with Kobe Bryant, like it was just crossing him over. It was clear that like at some point, he what he was doing was just to taunt Kobe Bryant's lack of defense, as Kobe put up forty four and had absolutely no help. But then. The return of Nick Young, Mr. Swaggy P himself, pushed the Lakers to two consecutive victories. <laughs> the swag, as Nick Young said, rubbed off on the rest of the team. Uh, you know, I'm predicting a a 73 and nine record for the Lakers the rest of the season. The season, if of course Nick Young can stay healthy. No, definitely. I mean, the track records—that's what they're on pace for, right? And things <laughs> the teams are on pace for always come true, as we know. I, I so if that doesn't happen, in all seriousness, my favorite part about where the Lakers are right now is you know if they're historically terrible, which they were for the first three weeks of the season, then of course we all get to laugh at that. But if they're just mediocrely terrible right now, they're tied for fourth. They could lose their first-round draft pick to the Phoenix Suns. Remember, that draft pick is only top five protected. So they're t- you said when you say fourth, they're fourth worst right now? Is tied for fourth worst. Tied for so fourth they, worst. They, one, them and one other team have a 3-9 and nine record. Uh, the Detroit Pistons also are 3-9, and nine, by the way. So okay. you could see them possibly losing that pick if, you know, if this play keeps up and they end up being in that 6th, 7th, 8th spot. Uh, honestly... That might be the worst possible thing for the Lakers if, is if they're not historically bad, but just kind of bad enough so that they don't get any help for the future. Yeah, and so top five protected, right? And it's owed to Phoenix, is what you said? Correct, in the Steve Nash trade. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, goodness. That would be, even for me and my enjoyment of laughing at all things Lakers, that would be <laughs> a little harsh. No. Like that. No, I, I I think it's never harsh. Okay, so, Look, I mean, they got Magic Johnson from the Jazz in nineteen whatever seventy nine eighty whatever. Whenever Magic Johnson was drafted, because the Jazz signed Gail Goodrich from the Lakers, the <sighs> the uh, and he, an aging Gail Goodrich. And back in those days, you had to give compensation whenever you signed a team's draft pick. Now, of course, that's not the case. But you know, a free Magic Johnson from the Jazz, I think we can laugh at them all we want. True, that's a pretty huge amount of debt to pay back eventually. So, yeah, I think they're still very well in the middle of paying that off. We have years of laughs yet to come for the Lakers. So, cool, let's see them get the exactly the sixth pick. Let's, let's, let's see that happen. And then, oh, but by the, for, by the way, <laughs> how big would that be for Phoenix? Yeah, that, I no, mean, that would be fun. That would be massive for them to be, and especially, I think they need one of the positions. They, they've got, as we know, a million good guards and wings. I think what they need a little bit more of is a, a big, and I just talked earlier about how great the big class is this year coming out in that draft. That could be a major boon for them if that happened. They're like, rooting for the Lakers. Uh, oh, for sure. And I think I'm a little bit worried about it just because of how poorly the Alex Len pick has gone so far for yeah. them. And, you know, I, I think they could have gotten a, player, a better player, Kofner, Lens, Noel, at that spot. Um, I can't believe but, he went ahead of Nerlens Noel. That's insane. Yeah, it's a little bit, and it and it was one of those things that seemed silly at the time too. But um, you know, obviously that would help. Regardless, uh, oh sure, but Alex Len, you know, proved to be more injury. Yeah, uh, maybe not more injury prone, but still have those same, same kind of injury problems. Mm-hmm. Moving on, the Thunder, the Jazz just played them Thursday, gave them their tenth loss of the season, putting them to the bottom of the Western Conference. The the Thunder are now three and ten without uh, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Uh, can they still make the playoffs? 
I think a ton of that is just going to depend on what the exact timetables end up being for those two guys. Now, the most recent updates that I was able to find today indicate that uh, early December would be like the the earliest that they could potentially come back. So we're talking a couple weeks. I, th- I saw something that said Russ might be back by a game on December 2nd. So that's about two weeks from today, I think 13 days. Those all, of course, though, are optimistic, and specifically with Durant's injury, the, the the specific fracture that he has in his foot, we've seen it be a tricky injury in the past for certain guys. For certain guys, they have the timetable and they get back right at the right in that timetable and they're fine. Certain other guys, they, especially taller guys, and he's pretty tall, you may have noticed, they, they sometimes it takes a lot longer than the timetable originally said. And if that were the case, and if we're not seeing Durant until the new year type of thing, I think it's going to be very, very difficult in this West with how far behind they're going to be already. So, first of all, for our loyal ESPN 700 listeners, it, it's actually the same injury that RSL forward Alvaro Sabarillo had. The, that oh, is it? Okay. metatarsal break, mm-hmm. um, that fracture, I guess. That, Didn't that Yao, wasn't surgery. that Yao Ming's injury? or uh, I, It was one of them along the line, but I don't think it was his first foot injury. Okay. Um, regardless, you know, it is something that takes uh, you know a couple months at at a time for these things to heal and i, I think it, you're absolutely right to throw up question marks as to when he'll be back i think if they he does get back by the new year though i think this team will be fine i mean look right now they're four and a half games out of a playoff spot and and while that sounds like a lot i, I think that's comebackable you know you you definitely will continue to see that slide but a healthy russell westbrook and kevin durant led Oklahoma City Thunder, I think they can push past some of the other teams like the like the, uh, New Orleans, for example, out of that spot and, and you know make the playoffs at least. Yeah, I, I, it's absolutely not out of the question, and they're gonna you would expect that they're gonna begin to blow away the competition as soon as at least one of the well at least Durant whenever Durant gets back, especially <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see what it is with Russ. I I still think they'll have, they're gonna win some games. I they think they'll be like without. a five hundred team with Westbrook. Yeah, right? yeah, and so. I think, of course, D- Durant is the bigger piece than Russ there, and if De- and and his injury is the one that has a little more variability. They're they're targeting Russ early December, as I said. I would say worst case there, barring like a really unexpected setback, would be like mid December for Russ. But Durant, they're saying early December as a best case. Worst case could be way further out than the worst case is for Russ. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it's there's more variability in in Durant's injury. Let's switch conferences really quick and, and look at two teams. First of all, the Milwaukee Bucks, the the Jason Kidd-led Milwaukee Bucks, are 7-5. and five. That's good for the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, is that team for real? I think it's hard to say. I, I kind of went into this year and remain at the moment thinking of this team as the sort of the Jazz East. Like, this is a team with a number of young exciting pieces nobody's quite sure exactly how they all fit together yet uh i think honestly brandon knight and trey burke inspire a lot of the same conversations among people in in their local fan bases some people in milwaukee i think think brandon knight is going to be is their future guy there some people think that they should trade him where you know i think we see some of that same divisiveness here with trey burke especially with alec behind him or sorry excuse me with uh with dante behind him um They've been their defense is the main thing that's been great. Larry Sanders is back to his Larry Sanders with an exclamation <laughs> point as you would uh, as you would go from Zach Lowe and Mike. Well, I do wonder a little bit. They you can look at so their offensive or excuse me their defensive rating, which again per one hundred possessions is uh, I believe fifth in the league, hmm. might even be fourth, but. When you look at it adjusted, which is when they do a little bit of fancy math and adjust for the quality of your opponents, they're only 10th. So they actually, I mean, that's still really good. Don't get me wrong. But 
I wonder whether a little bit of it is getting to play the crappy East. But they'll get to play the crappy East they, for the rest they of the do. season, yeah. right? They get to play the crappy East all year. Um, and, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo, I did just say that right, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he's uh, He's been really, really fun to watch, and that's never, ever going to change. He's always going to be insanely fun. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to consider the distinct possibility that while he's uh, clearly a kind of a franchise backstabbing jerk, uh, <laughs> Jason Kidd might be a really good defensive basketball coach. Uh, I don't like admitting that because you're right. He is such a he is such a jerk, and, and it was clear during his playing career and has been clear thus far in his one-and-a-half seasons as an NBA coach. I, I don't think Milwaukee's an, a, a playoff team. I, I don't think yeah. they they keep it up. Um, like you say, they do have a bunch of young players that, 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 that can grow together, but I, I think they're more where the Jazz were two seasons ago than where the Jazz are now. Or maybe um, even last and year. Yeah, that's even despite the Bucks having a better record than the Jazz. I, I just think the competition they've faced is so disparate. You know, there's there's such a difference between the West Co- West Coast and East Coast, Western Conference and Eastern Conference that I I, I don't know that it's fair to say that they're a, a playoff caliber team to this point. And besides, the Jazz East title is already taken by Atlanta, of course. Oh well, that's right. I just meant like in terms of the similarity. They show <laughs> no, I, I understand. Yeah. Um, How- they, they're gonna be fun. Yeah, fun is right. I, I don't think they're a playoff team. Um, and I'm, uh, again, rooting against Jason Kidd, which is a bummer because Giannis Antetokounmpo is is a, a bundle of fun. Um, let's move on to Cleveland over there with a 5-5 five and five record. Um, obviously, I, I think that's a little bit below expectations for Just this team. Um, but I, I think that expectations were more reasonable than they were with the 2011 Miami Heat after the decision and all of that. Where do you think this team, this Cleveland team, ends up? I mean, are they still the best team in the East? I honestly don't know. I I, I wish I had a more. <laughs> That's clear not a sports that... radio point of view. No, I know. Um, I mean, if I was to say it right now, and I had to give a sports radio point of view, no, I don't even know that they're the second best team currently. I think. Who, who are your top two teams? Or yeah, who's your top two? Chicago and Toronto in some yeah. in some order. Um, I don't know which I would put first. I would need more time to see if Toronto is completely legit here, but. I, my worry with this Cavaliers team is that these guys are never going to get along with each other. And I know it's early, and there's they've never no, most of them have never played with each other before. You know, LeBron and Love played a little bit on the in the Olympic team and things like that. But other than that, lot and I think they only returned the, the Cavs themselves only returned like four of the same players from last year or something like that. I'm just. You watch these guys on the court and you go Simmons body language doctor on it, which (laughs) normally I'm not too huge into, but as someone who is fairly obsessed with LeBron James and has watched pretty much every game the guy's played for his entire career, I I, I do sometimes pick up on those things. Those guys are not having fun playing with, even in the games where they're dominating and killing people, which there have been a couple of where they've just exploded offensively and hit their potential there. I worry that the that there are even more than the Heat, which we that was the big worry right away. Is how are all these big egos and personalities going to get along? I feel like it might be even worse here. Hmm. Do you, I, I don't know if you've seen much of the same. I don't know how much of them I, you've I don't watched know. specifically. I, I don't know that how much their their frowny faces and body language changes how I think. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I just I I think that that's something that you get together as a team and I think winning leads to smiles rather than smiles lead to winning, okay. if that makes sense. You that's, know what yeah, I mean? Oh yeah. That's and, absolutely fair. And so I, I'm not worried about how this team will get together on and off the court. You know, I, I think LeBron and Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving are both, you know, they are kind of famously prickly. I, I don't know about prickly, but, you know, there is some edge to all three of those guys. Mm-hmm. 
But I almost think that that makes them work together a little bit off the floor, um, or could make them work a little bit better off the floor. I think it's still way too early to say anything about these Cavs, and I, I honestly do think that maybe they'll still be this top team in the West, uh, in the East. I mean, they are only three games behind the Toronto Raptors. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, you may expect them to fall off a little bit. They're currently winning eighty-two percent of their basketball games. That's probably not going to happen. Uh, I, I do think that ultimately, in fact, I'll throw out that prediction. I do think ultimately Cleveland will be the number one team in the East. Okay, and I I can't necessarily disagree because they you know they could find a very easily find another gear here, put everything together as a group. And now the area where I worry and there I think everybody worries is defensively. These these guys don't have any. Uh, besides LeBron and 30-whatever-year-old Sean Marion, these guys don't have any above-average defensive players, like, anywhere on that roster. Yeah, that's and a concern. To, I, I, think it's, I think that they are, one thing I do think we will see is a uh, some sort of a trade, maybe not a big trade, but some sort of a trade to upgrade first with a wing defender and then potentially, although rim protectors are way more in high demand, if they can find one, a rim protector as well. We'll look forward to it on when the trade deadline comes up. And then the final thing, we always want to have fun around the NBA. This commercial from Tim Duncan and Derek Rose uh, for Foot Locker <laughs> has been fantastic. Just to set the scene a little bit, uh, Derek Rose walks into a gym. Guys talking about, of course, the Foot Locker most recent sale. L- let's hit the play button. Are you excited that the week of greatness is back at Foot Locker? A week of the sickest releases. Everyone's excited about it. Man, that is exciting. T. Rose, I know it's crazy, right? I gotta call Tim. Tim Duncan. Yo, Tim. The week of greatness is back at Foot Locker. No way. That's insane. I'm bouncing off the wall. I'll never guess this exciting. I can't contain myself. I just knocked over a plant celebrating. <laughs> And then, of course, the best part is that he sets the plant down. You know, he did not knock over. He just as casually I, sets it down. As I tweeted last night, in a world where advertising is probably at its lowest point in history, or at least close, <laughs> Foot Locker is that beacon of light. Those guys, How many basketball commercials have those guys had that have been legitimately laugh-out-loud funny? The Dante Exum stuff they had. Yep. They had Damian Lillard. They had the stuff with, uh, with James Harden and Charles Barkley. You remember that stuff? Right. They haven't really put out any that are bad. Like, and again, it, to me, it's a breath of fresh air. I watch way too much TV and therefore advertising, and it just it gives me a headache most of the time how bad it is. And that's so I really like seeing stuff like that. Yeah, no, I, I think it's well put together, and you know, is is awesome how they make fun of Tim Duncan's personalities, and it's it's great for Duncan to play along. So check out that commercial. Check out also if you're in the NBA commercial mood, the the Spurs H E B commercials are, are a yearly timeless classic of NBA folly and fun. Let's go ahead and move on to our break, though, and give you guys time to check out those commercials. You're listening to the Salt City Hoops Show on ESPN 700. Talking hoops and the association, this is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. This is indeed Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy B. Larson. Uh, ben Dowsett on the other side of the table. You can follow him at Ben underscore Dowsett. Of course, if you want to read any of our writings, you can go to saltcityhoops.com. We are the ESPN True Hoop affiliate for the Utah Jazz, and, and so therefore we, we cover the Jazz every day on saltcityhoops.com. Many writings. One, yes. <laughs> One thing I wanted to talk about before we get out of the show is Alec Burks' rebounding. And in particular, he threw up 14 rebounds last night, which is the most that I can find of any guard in Jazz history, going back through basketball references data since 1985. I actually started to ask him about it before. Well, I may have flubbed up 
a little bit. Let's Ty talk to, or sorry, let's Quinn talk to you about that. Yeah, I'll get you. <laughs> yes, that's that's the proverbial they that Alec Burks is talking to, uh, talking about going going to get me. Like, I'll get you. Talking about Ty. <laughs> You can't even say Ty Corbin's name anymore in the Jazz locker room. You'll get that response. Like, I'll get you. <laughs> That's awesome. But regardless, um, I think it's impressive that Alec Burks is legitimately contributing. He said that Quinn Snyder really challenged him, got in his face a little bit, and, and said, you know, you can be a better rebounder than this. And he's really responded to putting up double-digit rebounding games with 10 against Toronto, 14 against uh, the Thunder on, on Tuesday. First of all, I, I'm just really impressed at how coachable that shows Alec Burks really is. Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's huge. That's especially for a guy who, you know, you said earlier, I, did, I wrote not a takedown piece, was not a takedown at all, but I wrote a piece early in the week about how he's, he has struggled in a couple areas compared with last season and compared with the preseason. Of course, then he went out and had that OKC game, which was by far his best game of the year, because right. of course he read my piece and listened, <laughs> which that's the whole reason, as we all know. But, uh, you talk about him as a player who's had a few issues so far fitting into the new system and finding his niche and his role within the system. Enormously encouraging that he's he's taking coaching and not just like, you know what, I was the 10th pick and I'm here and I, you know, I'm or whatever pick he was, sorry. and uh, 12th. 12th pick, yeah, and, and this is how I play and you guys are going to have to fit me into how I play. And I think and more NBA players are like that than more people than people realize. And, and Alec, honestly, has been one of those players where we've heard those little rumbles about whether or not he can, is fitting into the system on defense, you know, whether or not he's fitting into the system in terms of how Quinn wants him to be aggressive at some times, but, it, you know, just kind of be there for spacing and, and during other plays. And so for him to take that a bit, that bit of advice from the coaching staff and really, really, really apply it is really impressive. I mean, he dominated the defensive rebounds last night, took away rebounds from the Thunder big men that frankly he shouldn't have gotten. Yeah. And that's, he has the ability to do that all the time. Of course, like you said earlier, 14 again, that may never happen again in his entire career. Right. No, and no jazz guard has done it in, in franchise history for all wasn't, we know. Wasn't Ty Corbin the one that you were, but they, but he he's was a really small a small forward. forward. Yeah. yeah they, they maybe classified him as guard or whatever. Yeah. Um, I really like it. I think, and I think that that's the type of area where he can make a consistent impact. The guys, I mean, the guys got hops. There's no question. And you, yeah, you said it yourself. He skied over some, a lot bigger guys than him during that Oklahoma City game. The Jazz need that sort of thing. They, of course, there are times where that's where the right move is going to be to maybe leak out a little more and look for a transition opportunity. But you, it can't just be the big guys rebounding. We see right. and we see Hayward helping with that as well. His size really is is an asset there. These are the types of things that, in the first place, had me picking the Jazz to be such a good rebounding team this year. We talked about it at the beginning of the show that the Jazz are worst in the league at giving up second chance points. If Alec Burks can continue this rebounding success, then then the Jazz will be much better in that category. Let's go ahead and move on to the Jazz's upcoming schedule with the few minutes that we have remaining in the show. The Jazz have four games in between now and next week's show. Uh, first off is tomorrow at Golden State. What are your thoughts about that game, Ben? It's going to be a toughie. You know, Golden State has been, by all measures, one of the best teams in the league. I talked about adjusted uh, per-possession rating earlier. Adjusting for quality of competition, they have been the number one team in the league in terms of uh, per-100 possessions efficiency. So they're very good on both ends of the court. they got guys who can stop on defense and, of course, Splash Brothers plus several other guys who are very, very capable on offense. They spread the floor really well. Steph is going to be a nightmare for whoever on the Jazz has to guard him. He's a little too quick for a guy like Trey Burke to guard him all the time. We'll see how what uh, whether the Jazz maybe try and do a little shifting around there. 
it's going to be a tough one. I think if the Jazz could at least hang in the game, that'd be a good positive thing for them there. Yeah, I agree. I, I think I'm... Two points. I think Steve Kerr, first of all, has really impressed me of how he's coached them thus far. Usually you don't see a team pick up a new coach that quickly and, and see this kind of success. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it usually takes that second season, for example, Dave Yeager um, in Memphis to, to really have that sort of success. And then David Locke tweeted this out that the Warriors are number one in the league in both offensive field goal shooting percentage and defensive field goal percentage allowed, which is wow. to be number one in both of those categories simultaneously is incredible. I agree. It's a jazz loss. It's it's a victory if they do stay in it and you know, keep it reasonably close. Definitely. Let's move on to the New Orleans Pelicans. That'll be here in Salt Lake City um, at home. Uh, I'm just excited to see Anthony Davis in person. Yeah, I just realized I got to try and get myself you a ticket to that. Tickets. Yeah, I, gotta, I have never seen Brow in person. So uh, I have a, a friend of mine, Dave, who's like who's super into Brow. So I bet we'll be able to – I'll talk to him. I'll see what's up. Yeah. Um, I think that – even with Brow, though, I think that's a game the Jazz is could Is Brow win. the official nickname for Anthony for, Davis? For me, for me it is. I don't okay. know about everybody. But uh, AD works as well. But uh, – I think that the Jazz, the Jazz, it does. It's a little too bad that that's the second night of a back-to-back, and they're going to have to be flying the night before and coming back. But I think that's a winnable game for the Jazz. Not that, not that I'm picking them necessarily to win or anything, but the I think the Jazz have an advantage on the wing against that team. Both mm-hmm. Burks and Hayward are going to have advantages, and besides Davis, who's a freak of nature, as we all know, I think they have a bit of an advantage in the front court. I, Omar Ashik is nice and everything, but I think the Jazz have a lot more skill there in their front court. I think Anthony Davis might be an advantage all his own in the front court. It's, yeah, you're probably right. That's I, I, His force is so huge that I can't even overlook it. But That being said, I am predicting a Jazz win in that game. I, I think they do take it at home, even if it is a back-to-back. And then they do play the Bulls next Monday, also at home. The Bulls currently on TNT right now, leading the Sacramento Kings 10-9. to uh, I I personally think that this is probably a loss that the Bulls show more defensively than than the Jazz will be able to handle. Yeah, it's going to be tough. And they honestly, they've been one of the secretly one of the league's 10 best offensive teams as well. well. They're going to give the Jazz some trouble with the defense. And, and then the final game next Wednesday at Oklahoma City Thunder. You know, the Jazz struggled early in that game. I, I think it'll be a closer one than we saw uh, than during the two and a half last quarter of, of, of Tuesday's game. You have to hope that they're going to be a little bit more assertive from the from the beginning, though, right? They're, that it's not going to take another wake up from Quinn Snyder to get them going. <laughs> That's I, true. I would honestly, that's you know, it's not a back to back. They get to fly out the day before. Everybody should be rested. I think it would, especially if they don't get a couple wins in those earlier three games, it would be too bad if the Jazz didn't win that game against a team that's sure to still be shorthanded and not have either of those superstars back. What do you think the Jazz's record is next week? Uh, so in these four games, yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna say two and two. I think two and two would be nice. And if it's one and three, not the end of the world. You just can't go on four in those games. You can't do that. Agreed. I agree. I I predict the Jazz go two and two in those games. You know, it's it's an interesting mix for the Jazz in terms of winnable opponents, but and maybe not in the best situations with the back to back and on the road. All right. Well, that was the Salt City Hoop Saturday or Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN <laughs> 700. Thanks again for listening. You can listen to us every week Thursday from seven to nine here on ESPN 700, or listen to the podcast on ESPN 700 Sports. Again, you're listening to the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN. If you're 700. a football-